0: Three, two, one, zero, all engine running. There is no other institution that has the
1: ability, uniquely, a without a heritage, every generation starts over, not. to remind the current regime, what your country we the people, tell the government what it is allowed to do. All, all, and to, to get back in their box and stay there. let we have a lift off. From the Heritage Foundation, this is Heritage Explains.
0: Desde mi punto de vista, hay dos líneas que explican por qué la popularidad. This
1: is the voice of Javier Milei, a presidential candidate for the South American nation of Argentina. He has emerged as a leading candidate in the presidential race, but also a controversial one. In his appearance and background, he is certainly unorthodox. He has piercing blue eyes and a shaggy mane of brown hair. In his youth, he was a soccer goalie and a member of a Rolling Stones cover band before deciding to pursue a career in economics. This career has been a successful one as he taught economics throughout the country, authored several books, and was featured heavily in media. Elected to the Argentine legislature in 2021, he currently leads the political coalition La Libertad Avanza, meaning Liberty Advances. And his strong stances against socialism and political corruption seem to be gaining ground. On September 14th, he appeared in an interview on X with Tucker Carlson and responded to a question about socialism.
0: I wonder if you believe that socialism leftism produces ugliness.
1: The issue is that Argentina began to embrace socialist ideas over a hundred years ago. The analogy of frogs in a pot of water is useful here. When you turn up the heat slowly, the frogs don't realize it until the time comes. And when they try to jump out, it's too late. Argentina's embrace of socialist ideas began with an idea that seems attractive but is actually a terrifying way to operate an economic system. The idea that where there is a need, there is a right. It's a problem because there can be infinite needs, but someone always has to pay for those rights, and the resources for that are finite. That sparks a conflict between infinite needs and finite resources. In the liberalist view, this conflict is easy to resolve through economic freedom and private property. Millet uses the term liberalist as it's understood in South America. We would equate his philosophy as something more akin to free market economics. So what are Americans to make of this development in South America? On this episode of Heritage Explains, we feature a conversation between two of our heritage experts, both of the Davis Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy. Victoria Coates, Vice President, sat down to interview Joseph Humeyer, Visiting Fellow for Latin America and the Caribbean, and find out what we should know about Argentina's presidential hopeful Javier Millet.
2: I am Victoria Coates, delighted to join you for this episode of Heritage Explains, in which we will be looking at the upcoming October 22nd presidential election in Argentina. Joining me today is Joseph Humeyer, who is, among many other things, a visiting fellow here at the Heritage Foundation in the Davis Institute in the Allison Center for Foreign Policy. So it is great pleasure to be able to tap a currently resident expert for information on this important topic. So, Joe, thank you so much for coming in and making the time for our Heritage listeners. And I just would like to ask you to introduce yourself and, and talk a little bit about your background and why you're going to be talking to us about Argentina.
0: Absolutely. First of all, let me thank you, Victoria, for having me. Thank the Heritage Foundation. It's an honor to be a visiting fellow. Uh, with the Allison Center so a little background on me Uh, I'm kind of like what you would call a soldier scholar I was a marine for eight parts of the formative years of my adult life left the Marine Corps went into the foundations and then moved into the think tank world I started a think tank called the Center for Secure Free Society which is basically a research arm that focuses on a part of the world that most of Washington doesn't which is Latin America and the Caribbean but I gave it even more unique focus and that we focus on Latin American and the Caribbean in the geopolitical perspective looking at external actors such as Russia such as China and such as Iran, which brings me to why we're going to talk about Argentina. So Argentina it's not a small country in Latin America. It's, it's one of the biggest mm-hmm. countries. It was actually one of the wealthiest countries in Latin America for much of its history. Uh, the last 50, 60 years have not been kind to Argentina. They've had serious uh, issues with their economic performance, uh, many uh, debt defaults, and now uh, inflation and even, say, hyperinflation as they reached over 100% for this year for the first time this century. Uh, Argentina has always been the victim of terrorism. They've had uh, Iran uh, attack the country on multiple occasions through its proxy Hezbollah, uh, China, is very active in Argentina as well as there's a colloquial saying for some of the Argentines because of the level of debt that Argentina is with the People's Republic of China, which is Argentina. China, uh, and so there, you know China's big, Russia's big, so all the geopolitical actors that we look at from national security perspective here in the United States are very very active in, in Argentina. So it's, I think that's the reason why it's important.
2: No, and I do think that for many Americans who maybe were not. Uh, hyper-focused on Latin America before, the issues that we're having with our southern border is making this a, a top-tier national security uh, threat for, for America and that, that also coming out of the pandemic and all the supply chain disruptions and the problems with China have made Americans look at our own backyard and say, what are, what are we doing? Why aren't we uh, a stronger presence here? Why is there so much russia and china and iran um and given my checkered past and and background as an art historian i was particularly interested in an ap article i saw today about an argentinian artist who is literally using pesos using their their paper (laughs) currency as as a medium to create his his artwork in a in a really interesting way of of pointing out how something that had been so valuable was now valueless, uh, but still a, a vehicle for the Argentinian people to express their creativity. And it is such a beautiful country and a wonderful people. Can you talk to us a little bit about how this hyperinflation happened and, you know, how it's manifesting itself for the people of Argentina?
0: What you just said, I think, you know, if it wasn't so tragic. It would be amusing, right? That people use the it's currency. It's ironic. It's yes. ironic, uh, and, and you know, honestly, you know, from the outside, we look at it and it is kind of funny. We've seen this happen with other countries. We've seen it happen with Venezuela, and they would use their currency literally for toilet paper. Uh-huh. Uh, we've seen it happen in other parts of the world, like Zimbabwe. But essentially, when inflation comes, and as Milton Friedman would say, inflation is always a, a monetary phenomenon. When inflation comes, it's really hard to cure. Uh, because the fundamental root of inflation is a massive government spending. And this is what's happened in Argentina. since the I say you go back 100 years, since the Peronist era, 1946, when Juan Peron and Evita Peron took over, they basically induced uh, a sort of corporate welfare uh, into the population and into the psyche of the Argentine government, which before to that was actually one of the most wealthiest countries in Latin America. It had a bonanza between the turn of the 1800s into the 1900s because it was one of the top agriculture exporters in the world. as mm-hmm. has great fertile uh, topsoil throughout the country. It's, it still has t- great fertile topsoil throughout the country. They just haven't been able to capitalize on those resources because they've been mismanaging their economy. If you move into this uh, current century, the 21st century, there's another phenomenon that hit um, Argentina uh, over and above the Peronista legacy of corporate welfare, which is Kirchnerismo. And Kirshner added another element that I think is even more damaging, which is the, the mass public spending, the welfare spending, the empowering the labor unions, all of that came from the Peronist movement as well. But they also introduced massive money laundering and public corruption. Uh, the, the figurehead of the Kirshner movement, the, the former president, current vice president, Christina Fernandez de Kirchner, is indicted and convicted on uh, counts of public corruption. She had multiple investigations. And late last year, she was convicted and sentenced to six years in prison for uh, stealing uh, upwards of a billion dollars from fake public work projects throughout the country when she was president. So this is part of the story of Argentina. The government has been looting from the people for probably about 100 years, and it's got incrementally worse, and then on top of that, they stopped paying their public debts, uh, and, and that's put them in, the, you know, with the international bondholders and the credit holders into a precarious situation. So that's what's manifesting today. The country now is pretty much untenable economically. Uh, people, whatever they earn that day, they spend it because they don't know how much is going to be worth tomorrow, uh, and then that's introduced to someone like Javier Malay, who's an economist. He wasn't a politician until very recently. He's somebody that not only uh, taught and studied economics, he comes from a free market school of economics called the Austrian School of Economics, very prominent. I think everyone here at the Heritage Foundation knows that. Um, But he also uh, uh, worked in banks. He he actually wasn't just a theorist. He was also a practitioner at looking at implementing macroeconomic policies through the banking system of Argentina.
2: Now, and this brings up, I think, our critical topic for today, which is the upcoming presidential election. Can you describe basically the, the process that has uh, vaulted Millet to a position of of media prominence even in the United States we've seen his his Twitter videos and most recently his interview uh, with with Tucker Carlson and if it got Tucker's attention enough to take him down to Argentina to do an in-person interview I think I think we should all pay attention um, and then the corollary to that which is the very very negative uh, economist cover story about how Malay is is a a terrible threat to Argentinian democracy. How did how did we get here?
0: Well, I'll talk about the economists in a second, but you know the the symbolism of what Argentina is is relevant throughout the entire world, even in the United States. I mean, we're having our own problems with inflation Absolutely. here. So if we don't pay attention to what's happening in other countries, uh, the same thing can happen in the United States. And so the fact that a country that's pretty much entering an economic abyss. I mean, hyperinflation has 100%. A few countries can 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 claim that, unfortunately. The fact that an economist outsider comes into the political scene and not only wins a primary, but dominates. I mean, he took regions of Argentina that were previously in the stronghold of uh, Peronist candidates or Kirchnerista candidates. He took it away from them and brought it back to the center right in Argentina. Now, he uh, is, I think, somebody that's now leading a charge. He's not the only candidate. There's uh, five candidates that are going to be moving into the October 22nd, first round of the elections. Uh, they had a primary in August, and I'm going to speak a little bit about the primary because it's a unique primary. It, I don't know if any other country in Latin America does this, but it's almost like the election before the election. It's held like a national referendum because it's a national vote. So the results of that primary very much are indicative of what could be the results of the October 22nd election since so it's only a matter of weeks away. And Javier Malay got more than 30% If per, you. Listen to what he says. He says he got 35%. He said they took 5% of his votes. Nonetheless, he's the front runner for this, and his momentum is in the upswing. Tucker Carlson going to Argentina, I think, is going to benefit him because the people of Argentina, they're not looking for structural incremental, modest reforms to their economy, they're looking for radical change. And when you have a person that's talking about dollarizing the country, he may say things in an inflammatory way about you know, even uh, dissolving the central bank, but if you look at the nuance of what he's proposing, there is some merit to it. I mentioned that he's an, uh, an experienced and, and a practicing economist, But if you think about just Argentina's history, their biggest period of growth, which happened in the late 1800s to the 1900s, pretty much from 1880 to 1930, uh, they did that without the central bank. Uh, They grew because they had the power of their economy into the hands of the private sector. Since 1946, since Perón, that that era, they've been shifting that more and more to the public sector. To today, 25% of the workforce in Argentina is in the public sector. That's outlandish. One of every four Argentinians Mm -hmm. is working for the government, which really isn't producing for the national economy. So I think that that's what we're gonna to see. Uh, touch really briefly on The Economist article. To me, this was a kind of very um, bad journalism at best. Uh, very I, I would
2: call it malfeasance.
0: Yeah, it is, it is. It's journalist malpractice for sure, because I read the interview, which is a three hour interview. They transcribed it. it's about uh, 56 pages. I read the entire thing looking for this nugget that shows that Javier Malay said something so outlandish that he has to be considered a threat to democracy. And I didn't find it. In fact, in several iterations, he says, I will always stand for democracy. They asked him about China. He said, look, China's a major creditor, major uh, debtor to, to, to Argentina but uh, they're not a strategic ally for us because I can't stand with a country that doesn't stand for democracy, freedom, for peace. Uh, when they talked about uh, Latin America, he said, I'm not gonna sit down and have strategic conversations with governments that don't respect the will of their people like Nicolas Maduro in Venezuela or Daniel Ortega in Nicaragua. He was very clear on these points and he repeats that I'm going to support democracy. He considers them part of this way the Westphalian democratic nation states. So I don't know where the economists sought this other than just putting a headline on an article that really didn't, or an interview, better said that, they didn't really capture the essence of that headline.
2: No, it, it, it was fascinating to me. And, and, you know, even in the United States, we occasionally have a, a politician who says hyperbolic things. It, happens, <laughs> it, it, it does happen. <laughs> uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're, they're a threat to democracy. So I was, I was struck that the, the, you know, the economist was both going to elevate this kind of regional uh, election to a cover story and then go after a particular candidate with this kind of vitriol. Yeah, And, you know, God love him for doing the interview, but clearly it was a hit job from, yeah. day, from day one. And,
0: and it was weird in the sense that, you know, The Economist has been complaining about Argentina's economy repeatedly over several episodes, and now you have... A candidate, a political candidate, but is also an economist, someone that's now proposing some serious reforms. I thought they were going to talk about those reforms. Like, you know, the economist is going to talk about what happens if you get rid of the central bank? What happens if you dollarize the country? I would say maybe 10% of the interview talked about it very much on the surface. And about 80% of the interview talked about, well, what do you think about this person? What do you think about that person? What do you think about January 6th in the United States? Things that really aren't relevant, to the situation in Argentina, I thought Javier Milei, at least through the transcript, did a pretty good job at answering a lot of these questions, and and I, I, I saw nothing in the slightest that saw that he was a threat to democracy. I, as a matter of fact, I think the biggest threat to democracy in Argentina is the government's addiction to public spending. I think that's the threat to democracy in the country.
2: No, I mean clearly that is what is actually uh, ha- having such a detrimental effect on the Argentinian people's uh, people's lives, and that that brings me to maybe our most important question, which. To some extent, you've answered by pointing out how important Argentina is globally, but certainly for the Western Hemisphere, and what a very strong partner it was historically and could be in the future to the United States, which is why should the American people, American conservatives, heritage members, why should they care about what happens on October 22nd?
0: So that is the big question. I'm going to answer it in two, two parts. The first part, you actually touched on, Victoria, earlier with the border. What everyone needs to understand about the southern border crisis that's happening right now, the 7 million-plus illegal migrants that have crossed through in the last 15, uh, five or six years, is that that is a symptom of bigger endemic problems that are happening all throughout the hemisphere, particularly in Latin America and the Caribbean. It started with Central America. Then it was Haiti. Now it's Venezuela. This is going further south. in countries, big countries like Brazil and Argentina, if they continue to go further in this socialist trap— where do you think they're going to go? They're going to move north, and what's numbers of today of 2.7 million plus encounters and apprehension on the US southern border? That's going to be an easy day compared to what we're going to see in years to come. So that's the first reason. This is going to—you can't have a successful and prosperous and free country if you live in a horrible neighborhood. It's impossible. Uh, you could ask Chile this question in South America. They thought they were out of the woodwork, and now they have a socialist president, even though they've had the most successful free market reforms over the last uh, half century. Uh, the second reason I would say is as, as a northern, uh, as part of the northern hemisphere the United States with our transatlantic alliances with NATO, we need to have southern partners. We need to have southern partners in South Asia, we need to have southern partners in the Middle East, partners in Africa, and we need to have partners in Latin America. Uh, in that, we lost a strategic opportunity with Brazil. There was a tremendous opportunity with President Bolsonaro and President Trump to forge a strategic alliance ab- over and above just a trade alliance or a military alliance a strategic alliance that would allow us to have a partner in the South that would break China's grip on the global South. China's whole strategy, their Belt and Road Initiative, their whole entire uh, geopolitical uh, ambition is dependent on capturing the global South. And they capture them through economic coercion, they capture them through uh, subversion, they capture them basically just through bullying these weaker countries into bending to their political will. Well, the way you break that is you capture those partners away from them. So we lost the opportunity with Brazil, but we can relive that opportunity with Argentina if Javier Malay or Patricia Bullrich, I don't want to discount her either because she's also a right-of-center pro-US, pro-Western Democratic candidate in, in the country. So if either one of those candidates win, with, they have a potential to both to go into the second round, then the United States has another chance to rewrite the wrongs of the Western Hemisphere with a solid partner uh, on this side of the world that will break China's grip.
2: Well, that just sounds like an incredible opportunity. Do you have any predictions of what might happen on October 22nd? So I'll, I'll, I would hold you to it. But. Yeah,
0: I'll, and I'll tell people, don't, don't put any money on my predictions. They haven't always been the right. Look, I predict Javier Millet will go to the second round at the minimum. He has a potential to win the first round. Argentina has one of these systems where you don't just need a 50-plus-1 majority. You can have 40% as long as you're 10% above your next competitor. He's at 35% right now, so he's five mm-hmm. points away. But I would say my biggest prediction for Argentina is you're going to see a lot of political instability. I would hope that either uh, Javier Malay or Patricia Bullrich become the next president of the country because they're pro-U.S., because they have strong stances against China, because they have ambitions to fix the economy and the insecurity in the country. But most importantly, I think, is they have to be ready for the onslaught because it's not going to go away. This is what happened with President Bolsonaro. He won the election. We were very celebratory. I was here. Uh, you were probably in the White House. when when And I was I went to the state dinner when he visited uh, the United States in March of 2019. 19 first official state visit, and, and everything was great until the pandemic, and then they much slaughtered uh, President Bolsonaro. The same thing is going to happen to whoever is Javier Malay or Patricia Boric, and so they have to get their alliances in check to be able to ready for this onslaught, because Latin America, unfortunately, most of the region is going towards a Marxist uh, authoritarian direction, and uh, if Argentina is able to break away from that trend, the, the challenge will be will they be able to consolidate their alliances so that they can resist and have a successful term in office.
2: I think that's that's a great con- concluding point that the United States and particularly conservatives in the United States need to be ready uh, to support whoever the next president of Argentina is to understand why this is such a vitally important potential alliance for the United States and to, uh, to be fully, fully supportive uh, of, of this future partner. So, Joe, I can't thank you enough. For coming in and and literally explaining this to us. And I hope you come back after October 22nd and tell us what next steps are.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Victoria. It's a pleasure.
2: Thank you.
1: Thank you to Victoria Coates and Joseph Humeyer for contributing to today's show. You can find Victoria on X, formerly Twitter, at Victoria Coates, and Joseph at J.M. Humeyer. That's H-U-M-I-R-E. You can find commentary by both of them at heritage.org. And thank you, as always, for listening to Heritage Explains. If you have any thoughts, feedback, or suggestions for future episodes, send them our way at heritageexplains at Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It's written and produced by Mark Gani, Lauren Evans, and John Pop.